Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. Let's rewind 50 years to May 4th, 1970. Right around lunchtime, something terrible happened at Kent State University, just outside Cleveland. National Guard troops fired on students protesting the Vietnam War. They wounded nine and killed four, and two of the dead had simply been walking to class. Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young memorialized the moment in their heart-wrenching hit, Ohio. The Kent State shootings galvanized protesters on Washington University's campus. One ROTC building on campus had already burned to the ground before the shootings, and afterwards another would as well. It's a part of history we don't always talk about here in St. Louis, but what better day to do so than today? And joining me to talk about it is Michael Venso. He's a military and firearms curator at the Missouri Historical Society's Soldiers Memorial Military Museum. Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here. So help set this scene for us. What sorts of demonstrations were taking place at WashU leading up to May 4th in that spring of 1970? Well, there were um, quite a bit of uh, sort of protest or anti-war activity uh, that had happened at, at Washington University prior to May 4th, probably starting really in 1964 with the Gulf of Tonkin resolution that gave President Johnson the um, ability to sort of expand the uh, advisory role that the military had been at that time. And so student groups got started, such as uh, the Student um, Peace Union uh, the Students for Democratic Society, mm. and they had a number of, of protests and activities and, and became more and more vibrant. And they were working not only with students, but also uh, with faculty, uh, members of the community at large. Uh, and there was just a, a whole host uh, of different types of events and protests and actions that they took prior to May 4th, 1970. Was WashU considered a hotbed of activism um, compared to other uh, local campuses and, and higher learning institutions? Well, my research indicates that that uh, WashU really had a, a very vibrant activist community mm. um, and that the, the protest, protest movement um, was very much like many other college campuses across the nation and region. Um, I'd hesitate to say that it it was, you know, the highest or most active, uh, and it certainly wasn't the least active. Um, but it was uh, very representative of a lot of those actions that were happening all around the country. Now, as I mentioned in the introduction to this segment, um, an R the Army ROTC building on WashU's campus burned down even before Kent State was on anybody's radar. This was in late February of 1970. What do we know about what happened at that point? Well, it's um, it's kind of an interesting uh, story. There were actually two uh, ROTC buildings um, that were on campus. This is kind of at the uh, corner near uh, Big Bend and uh, Millbrook, kind of about where the um, campus fitness center and that type of thing is mm. uh, on that side of uh, campus. And the, 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 there were separate um, uh, structures. There were these two similar Quonset HUD type buildings that were there. And the ROTC buildings, just like on almost every other campus across the country, 
uh, were sort of an easy target. They became, you know, something that was convenient. It was close by where a lot of the protesters were already living and engaging in these activities. And so at we were really working to try and and from campus was kind of the, the pitch that a lot of folks were making. And, and sorry, and, Michael, uh, your phone just went out there for just a moment. What what were they? You said they had become sort of a convenient target for people. And, and what were they trying to do um, to them? Well, they were trying to really remove those programs or get mm-hmm. them abolished uh, from campus uh, is what they were hoping to do. And th- there were two distinct programs. There was the Arm- Army ROTC and the Air Force ROTC. And um, so they were doing different things by having protests and, and some of those uh, actions, you know, became turned into vandalism and eventually turned into uh, what was initially ruled as an arson. Uh, February 23rd, 1970 is when the Army ROTC building was destroyed in a fire. It's about 1230 in the morning. Uh, hmm. Now, when we think of a building being destroyed in a fire, you know, I'm thinking of college campuses, a four-story uh, dorm going up in flames. It sounds like from what you're saying, this was a much more modest affair. Um, was it a highly flammable building or did somebody really have to work to light these things up? Well, you know, it was, they were typically, these were um, more like classroom buildings, that type of thing. They work, uh, you know, metal Quonset hut type structures. So the, um, you know, in a typical classroom, though, you'd have all kinds of furnishings and certainly, you know, papers and books and that. So, um, you know, the, it, it, it took some effort for sure uh, to, uh, to ignite fires, but a lot of these kind of things started by breaking out windows, mm. um, you know, throwing things in. And later uh, on May 5th in 1970, um, most folks believe that it was started when some firecrackers were thrown into the building. Ah, interesting. And I want to get to May 5th here in a moment. But so in February, uh, the Army ROTC building burned down. Was anyone apprehended or arrested for that uh, at that point? Uh, I don't believe so. I think there were some um, some investigations into it, and I don't know uh, that they've uh, that they did find anybody uh, that was charged with those crimes. Um, I'm still researching uh, some of those particular details, but it it was there were there were a number of students uh, in, in the accounts that I've read, you know, about being close by across the street and watching the fire uh, fire burn. Okay, and so that sort of brings us to May fourth, and um, for anybody who is say young younger than 50 or been living under a rock. Give us sort of a, a quick overview of what happened at Kent State. We say four dead in Ohio. Who were they and, and who killed them? Sure. Well, it's it's, um, it's a pretty, uh, pretty tragic situation. Um, there were um, 28 National Guard soldiers who actually fired their weapons, about 67 rounds. It all took about 13 seconds. Mm. And as you say, there were four students that were killed. Nine others uh, were wounded. Um, really, this was uh, an event that that was so similar to other things that were happening around the country at the same time. Uh, President Richard Nixon had just delivered on April 30th a nationally televised announcement that he was expanding the war into Cambodia. This um, fell on the heels of him running for election in 1968 on a platform of bringing the war to an end. Um, there also, as that came out, there were a number of things that were happening prior to that, such as the draft lottery was, had just started in the, um, end of the, the previous year. And so, uh, there was a lot of activity and frustration. And so 
at Kent State in Ohio, there was a protest on Friday, May 1, just like there were at a lot of campuses around the country. And then they made plans to have another uh, protest on Monday, which would be the 4th. Mm-hmm. They had some additional protests and some um, uh, demonstrations that turned violent downtown in Kent, Ohio on Saturday the 2nd. That night, they also burned their uh, Reserve Officers Training Corps building, uh, which is just adjacent to the Commons, uh, which is where all the activity took place on May 4th. And the president um, spoke up about some of this and and was notably for referring to the protesters as, quote, these bums uh, blowing up the campuses. And some argue that that might have inflamed it a little bit, certainly on Sunday the 3rd. Um, the Ohio governor, Jim Rhodes, uh, also uh, didn't have very kind words for protesters, referring to them as some of the worst people in America, and that this their actions were very un-American. So it was a really divided country, and a lot of people were um, trying to sort of navigate that space, and certainly um, some of the extremes at both ends ended up erupting uh, in violence on May 4th. It was a, a noon rally. And uh, they they gathered, and the National Guard, who had already been called to campus the day before um, to um, sort of protect campus, but also protect the community of Kent that had seen some violence. Uh, and so as the Guard tried to disperse the crowds, the students, uh, protesters were throwing rocks back at the, at the Guard, ignoring them. That escalated to tear gas being thrown. That got thrown back toward the Guard. And finally, a group of about... Um, a little over 75 uh, troops with bayonets and rifles, they advanced across the commons. They sort of forced the protesters up the hill and around a building called Taylor Hall. Mm. And um, as they peeked over the top of that hill, the students sort of went on either side of the building. And as they came around the top of the building, uh, they found themselves in sort of an athletic practice field uh, facing uh, a parking lot that was behind Taylor Hall. And for a while, they kind of got fenced in, the guard did. And so they stopped. They eventually kneeled down, aimed their rifles at the students in the parking lot. Um, They eventually got up and started to head back to where they originated back in the commons. And as they crested the top of the hill, which was known as Blanket Hill, um, they opened fire. And uh, in 13 seconds, those four lights. Yeah. They're coming up the hill. It's not like anybody was at that point advancing on them or throwing rocks at them. They just opened fire and bam. Yeah. Well, there's been some pretty extensive uh, research, as you can imagine, into this this incident. And some folks say that there were some students on – they call it the veranda on the side of Taylor Hall there uh, that is somewhat close to where they were. And they said that some of those students were kind of advancing toward them. That may have provoked the guard. Hmm. Uh, we're not sure. But the folks that um, that died, the four victims that died, they um, they were all about a football field away uh, from where the uh, hmm. the guard had fired their shots. Okay. So there was no immediate, there was no immediate threat. In other words, you know, somebody wasn't coming at them. But Certainly getting rocks thrown at you and and no who knows what other tear gas cans back at you. It, it was it was not a peace an entirely peaceful protest also. Mm-hmm. But as we know, um, now we know today, whether or not they knew at the time, two of these students that were killed, um, they weren't even at this protest. They had apparently just been leaving class and and got caught up in this fire. is is that correct? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, both uh, Sandra Schur, who was 20 years old, and William uh, Schroeder, who was 19, um, they were student bystanders, basically, walking between classes. And um, 
strangely enough, uh, William Schroeder was actually a member of the ROTC battalion on campus. And he was killed. Correct. Wow. So I imagine, um, as you say, this was already a powder keg of a situation prior to this happening. Tensions were running high. Now this happens. What was the reaction um, on college campuses across the U.S.? Well, as you can imagine, um, uh, uh, what was already uh, uh, an incendiary situation really, um, really kind of exploded in a lot of ways. Um, things got a little more violent. Um, certainly uh, at WashU, as we indicated earlier, um, things picked up. There were, um, I think it's something in the order of uh, 30 or 40 buildings in the immediate uh, aftermath, ROTC buildings around campuses um, that were burned. Around the country, um, and, you're saying 30 or 40. Yeah, correct. Okay. Yes, correct. You're right. So in a, in, a, in a strange way, a lot of the activities um, mimic each other. Um, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily speak to uh, full organization, but uh, it, it, the ROTC buildings and those programs were kind of the low-hanging fruit, if you will, for, um, you know, these campus communities where the activism was the strongest. And so uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of, folks took to that um, and uh, and destroyed those those buildings and um, mostly the activity was uh, in terms of vandalism uh, and some of these fires but for the most part they were not violent from the perspective of the protesters you know attacking individuals mm -hmm. uh, and thankfully um, there were not other students involved in anti-war protests that were that were shot. There, there was, however, I will uh, just briefly mention, there was a, another uh, campus shooting that did happen uh, days after at uh, Jackson State uh, University in Jackson, Mississippi. This is a historically black college. And the, the events there were really kind of geared more towards civil rights and, this, and issues with the civil rights movement and a trial involving Bobby Seale, the Black Panthers. But there were some protests and some some rioting that happened on campus there, some more rock throwing, that kind of thing. And so the local law enforcement responded. And um, this is about 10 days. They could start it on the 14th. And in the overnight, uh, local law enforcement came and actually uh, fired uh, a number of shotguns uh, blasts into uh, some of the dormitories where some of the students were doing it. And so two students died um, in that incident. Um, that and Kent State were the only ones um, that I'm aware of that there were actual deaths uh, involving uh, the protesters or, uh, or, I guess, protests on either side. Okay, so that is some heavy history. We're talking to Michael Venso of the Missouri Historical Society. We're talking about the anti-war protest here in St. Louis. Today is the 50th anniversary of the shootings at Kent State that killed four students and, and left nine injured. We do need to take a quick break, but we'll be back shortly to continue this conversation. And when we come back, we're going to hear from some callers who have some personal memories of what happened um, in those days. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. That's 90.7. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com. KWMU.
And now back to our conversation. We're talking about how Washington University students responded to the shootings at Kent State. We're talking to Michael Venso. He's a military and firearms curator at the Missouri Historical Society's Soldiers Memorial Military Museum. And in just a moment, I want to get to some callers. We have some great people on the line hoping to join us. Uh, But Michael, before that, just real quickly, you mentioned that when this second ROTC building uh, was burned on WashU's campus, and this was the day after the Kent State shootings. This was believed to be a firecracker. Um, what happened in that case? Well, there were, um, as you can imagine, a lot of uh, uh, frustrated individuals uh, with what had happened at, at Kent State. And as that group of, of uh, folks um, gathered on campus in the commons and um, and did what would typically protesters and demonstrators do and spoke out against um, the actions uh, by the National Guard at Kent State. Uh, eventually, by the evening, and then I should preface it by saying there were a lot of attempts um, prior to this to uh, to damage or destroy the other, the remaining, the Air Force ROTC building. Um, those were happening kind of in the months leading up to um, Kent State, actually, in the mm-hmm. spring of 1970. Uh, but eventually, by the evening time, um, some folks wandered down to the, that part of campus and um, I believe broke out um, some of the windows and um, at some point threw um, uh, firecracker into the building and ignited a fire. The fire department was called and responded and initially protesters at the scene um sort of kept the firefighters at bay by throwing more rocks at the fire engines and mm-hmm. um, preventing uh, the, um, you know, the, their efforts to, uh, to put down the fire. Uh, and so law enforcement was called in and I believe more uh, law enforcement from the city of Clayton and the county came uh, to the campus and eventually were able to get the uh, um, fire crews uh, to that part of campus and were able to put out most of the fire, but certainly the building was heavily damaged and uh, eventually everything was was torn down. Okay. And there were some there were some lawsuits. There were you know they, eventually there were people that were charged with that, and uh, and uh, it led to um, a group of of students that were uh, eventually um, found guilty, and some were. Uh, went and served some time. And we're actually fortunate today that one of our callers is one of the students who found his entire life um, changed by this experience. He was there that day at Washington University. Um, And I want to go to the phone lines. Uh, Howard Mechanic is calling us, I believe, from Arizona. Um, Howard, welcome to St. Louis on the Air. Uh, It's nice to be here. Thank you. We are so glad you could join us today. Um, And I know that um, what happened on May 5th um, ended up changing your life forever. You were one of the students um, who was charged for what happened there with the ROTC building. Is that correct? That's correct. And and just a a correction, you know, I was charged with throwing a firecracker uh, called a cherry bomb. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's some misunderstanding that that there's a firecracker that was causing the fire. Actually, there is a photo of somebody holding a piece of paper, lighting it uh, with uh, a cigarette lighter. Hmm. Uh, there were se- several people in the building. I was not charged with that, uh, with burning the building. I was charged with throwing a firecracker, and there's never any anything, any testimony whatsoever saying a firecracker caused the fire. Okay. And I understand that later, um, another student came forward and said, you didn't even throw the fire firecracker, that he did. Is that part correct? Uh, 
That was correct. That was 20 years later, and uh, it's a long story, but I was convicted twice uh, for throwing the firecracker, once on a county charge, uh, restraining, breaking a restraining order. I served a six-month sentence on that and uh, was threatened while I was in uh, county uh, jail. And uh, one guard actually said he, if he had a chance, he'd like to put a bullet in my head. Oh, my goodness. And I had already been convicted on a federal charge. They gave me five years based on this firecracker that hurt nobody. Uh, I never had a record whatsoever. I was not involved in any violent activities. Uh, but I was a test case, and I was the first trial of all students that were tried uh, some were actually tried for sabotage during wartime, the ones that were charged with uh, destroying the building. And uh, that was a, that's, that's a long story, but uh, I didn't want to, I just didn't think I could serve a five-year sentence after the treatment uh, I got in the county, and uh, I decided to live under another name, and which I did for 28 years after that. Yeah, so you moved to Arizona and started a new life um, as Gary Tre- Treadway, basically started over under this new identity and, and put this behind you. And of course, then everything ended up coming out years later. And I, I know that's a very long and, and complicated story. But Michael Venso, hearing Howard's story, um, the idea of a five-year sentence for something like this, putting questions of, of guilt or innocence aside, this seems like such a, a heightened response. We hadn't seen a, something, a, a prison sentence that long prior to something like this. Is, is that correct? Well, certainly the, um, the reaction uh, on both sides uh, to what happened in Kent State um, was in, in many ways kind of un- unprecedented. Um, the you know there it was a, a very divided um, community both here locally and and also nationally. I believe that prior to um, to May fourth, uh, there was a referendum on campus about whether or not the ROTC program should be abolished. Hmm. And I think it's sixty sixty nine percent of faculty and students wanted to keep the program there in some form. Um, so it it was a very active situation, but it was. Um, also, you know, people on both sides of the issue. And so um, the the reaction to things getting, um, you know, more violent um, certainly came uh, with sort of a heavy hand and, and probably a big hammer as, uh, as Howard is uh, as describing. And I'm so delighted to have uh, have Howard join the conversation and and hear from somebody who is right there on the the front lines of uh, of this uh, long effort. Absolutely. And Howard, I'm I'm curious to hear your thoughts as you went out um, to that protest the day after everything happened at Kent State. How were students feeling? How were you feeling um, hearing about what had happened in Ohio? Well, actually, it was the same evening. Uh, in the afternoon, it happened in Ohio, and we had already had this demonstration uh, scheduled, uh, as Mr. Verso said, that, that there were demonstrations going on all the time, and especially after April 30th when President Nixon announced the expansion of the war into a neutral country, Cambodia. You know, we had a demonstration already scheduled that evening, so when people heard from the radio, it just, uh, it, what happened in Kent State, and I was from Shaker Heights, Ohio, which is near Kent State, and uh, it, it, 
inflamed the situation in more than one way, and and uh, it was there were angry students all over the country, and and I just wanted to say that uh, you know we can focus on the burning of of the one building or the burning of thirty buildings, but this is a culmination of activities for many years. And I think today it's important to remember uh, the four dead in Ohio. Uh, it's also important to remember the the two students who uh, African American students who were forgotten who were killed before that at Kent, at uh, Jackson State. We should remember the 57,000 American soldiers who lost their lives as cannon fodder in this war, mm-hmm. and also the three million people from Southeast Asia who were killed during this war. And that's what I think is important today. It's important to think about a burning building, but all these lives are the important things. Howard, I want to thank you for that perspective, and, and thank you for joining us today. It was just great to hear um, to hear your thoughts on this and, and sort of what you're thinking about today um, in a day that I'm sure just has a, a lot of significance um, for you in your life. Do you have anything planned in terms of your own remembrance um, for the day? Well, actually, I was invited to Kent State uh, as part of their activities, but Obviously, that's not happening. Mm-hmm. I was going to be on a panel there. We were also going to have a reunion uh, of the activists from Washington U uh, later this month, and that's not happening. We're, we're hoping maybe we can do that next year. We did do that uh, 20 years ago when I, after I got my presidential pardon in, in, the, in 2001. We had a Welcome back, Howard, uh, reunion of the activists in 2001. So we're hoping to do that again and and get back to St. Louis. And and, uh, I have fond memories of the area, and uh, hopefully we can come back and have another reunion. Well, I'm I'm so glad you feel that way about the area, despite what I imagine, um, you know, were some very unpleasant circumstances towards the time that you left here and and some prosecutors really going after you and and trying to throw the book at you. So we hope you will come back for that. And and Michael Venso, I know you're working on an exhibition that has to do with the Vietnam War era. You're going to be launching at the Soldiers Memorial downtown. Um, And that's something that's underway right now. What kind of perspective are you hoping to be able to bring to that um, in the midst of all these remembrances going on? of those years? Well, I would uh, echo uh, Howard's thoughts um, that you can focus on any one particular um, moment or chapter in this very long uh, and difficult story uh, of the Vietnam War and that time period. And the what we hope to do uh, in our exhibit that is scheduled to open up in the fall of 2022 um, is to tell not only the perspective of those that served uh, in the military during the Vietnam conflict, but also um, those folks that didn't serve and try and hopefully share with uh, uh, each other uh, these different perspectives and um, that hopefully in 50 years, uh, we've come to um, maybe gain a little bit more understanding uh, and appreciation for um, these two different perspectives. So that we're very much looking forward to uh, to telling uh, telling those stories and uh, sharing those new perspectives. I do want to go back to the phone lines. Uh, Dwight is calling from St. Louis, um, and he also has some some good perspective on this. Um, Dwight, hi, you're on St. Louis on the air. Hi, thanks for uh, giving me a chance to speak. Um, yeah, I was there uh, on the, the night of the uh, 
the burning of the Air Force ROTC building. And um, I can actually corroborate uh, that Howard did not throw, I, no, I never saw anybody throw any firecrackers or fireworks into the building. I did see a fellow uh, light a, a piece of newspaper and step into the doorway and um, with that lit piece of paper, and I don't, I don't know whether that actually started the fire or not. Um, Wow, so the, the firecracker that we'd led to believe was the cause here. We've got, a, you know, several direct eyewitnesses um, who are saying, no, this was somebody with a, a lit piece of paper trying to do this. Is that what you're yeah. saying, Dwight? Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. Wow. I, I don't remember hearing the report of any firecrackers going off. Just, you know, just the noise of a cherry bomb. Mm-hmm. Is, it sounds like, a, sounds like a pistol shot. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a loud noise. No, but I, what I did want to say is that I was, a, I was involved with a group called Rainbow. Uh, we were a, a group, a miscellaneous group of, of uh, student, uh, I guess you could call us activists. Uh, we developed a, a concept called Zap Facts, and what we do is we take a fact uh, about the war, one, uh, one, napalm, uh, one, one napalm attack is equal to uh, tens of thousands of dollars and could pay for, you know, hospital beds or, mm. you know, those kinds of equations, and we... we had hundreds of those printed out, and we took them around to parking lots in the area, around famous bar and around, and just stuck them under people's windshield wipers. Mm-hmm. Um, our, our goal was to uh, figure out how to turn around the political uh, discussion from uh, a very uh, throwing paint and, and busting windows doesn't win hearts and minds. And mm-hmm. we knew that from, from the 68 election uh, when uh, Nixon narrowly beat uh, Humphrey. Um, and um, so when Kent State happened, it was, uh, there were numerous debates and just before that period, as, as Howard was mentioning, that when Nixon announced the invasion of Cambodia, there were meetings. We had numbers of numerous meetings in Holmes Lounge. There'd be, you know, 300, 400 people in Holmes Lounge hmm. uh, taking turns um, speaking uh, their mind, uh, the perspective of the students for national. The SDS Students for a Democratic Society, which was one of the one of the wings, probably the, the, the furthest left. But then the Rainbow Group was much more focused on uh, retail politics. Um, uh, we were we were trying to figure out how to how to turn the argument around to the value of, of human life versus military action in a distant Southeast Asian country. Hmm. Um, I mean, I, I appreciate what you're saying about how you guys figured out that different tactics were needed and, and you went out there to do that. And it's interesting to hear about everybody sort of approaching this puzzle from from different sides, how to how to stop what was happening in national politics. And Michael Venso, I was curious um, to hear from you. These were all aimed at getting these ROTC programs shut down and moved off campus. Did that end up happening at Washington University after all this? Well, like both uh, Howard and Dwight said, there were a number of factors that were um, at work here, but the ROTC uh, um, uh, program removal was a big focus uh, at WashU. And there actually was another, there were ROTC programs at other universities across St. Louis. And what ultimately happened um, is that they they did shut down, um, 
temporarily kind of close some of those ROTC programs, but mm-hmm. the Army ROTC program uh, is still uh, vibrant at Washington University, and students from uh, various campuses across the region uh, come there for the Army ROTC, and the Air Force ROTC program is active at St. Louis University. Hmm. So those programs do continue today. I, I don't know that I was aware of that, and that's that's interesting. Um, unfortunately, we are running out of time in this conversation, and I know we have a lot of callers who've wanted to join us in their there's just so much part of this history. Um, so I'm sorry we're not going to get to that. But, Michael, just one last thought from you. What's one lesson you hope we can take away from these just really tragic events of, of 50 years ago? Well, I, I think just like in uh, the conversation today, uh, it's an opportunity to uh, to listen, um, to learn, for people to share their stories and, and their perspectives. Uh, and hopefully we can all um, come with uh, some open ears and try and understand a really difficult time in our period that uh, helps us move a little bit uh, closer uh, together as a nation. I think that's a great thought to end on. And we're looking forward to seeing this exhibit that you're working on right now. Hopefully things can get reopened. And in a few years time, we'll be able to come down to the Soldiers Memorial Military Museum and see that. So Michael Venso, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. And we do also want to thank um, our callers for providing their firsthand experience. That was was so fascinating. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.